This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. You're listening to the Bite Size Business Breakfast. Tom, Richard and Brandy coming to you live on location this morning from Dubai Commerce City where we have been looking at what makes this digital e-commerce free zone tick. Speaking to Faisal Jassim, who's the Senior Director of Sales down here at Dubai Commerce City. We've also been looking at the new PMI numbers coming out of Saudi Arabia in depth, showing a nine-year high when it comes to job creation. We've got The Economist's take on that from Daniel Richards. We've also been speaking live from Riyadh to a human capital advisor to the Public Investment Fund, Phil Hine, to find out what that growth in jobs and a subsequent growth in wages feels like on the ground. And Elon Musk has his own chatbot. We've been looking at what that tells us about AI development with Sam Singh, founder and CEO of Tripler. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast, exclusively on DubaiEye1038.com. The Business Breakfast live from Dubai Commerce City, a little bit different than usual. Uh, great to be down here at Dubai Commerce City, which offers digital commerce strategy, consulting, guidance on digital commerce regulations in the region, end-to-end logistics solutions, inclusive of warehousing, last mile delivery, complete digital commerce platform solutions, uh, digi marketing services, and and many other. In fact, we are going to be diving into a number of those services over the course, uh, not just of this morning, but throughout the course of this week as well. A free zone in the heart of Dubai, perfectly placed to benefit from the expected digital uh, uh, commerce growth in the region, uh, which we understand, according to latest figures, fast outpacing the global growth average. This is uh, an environment uh, that provides uh, creativity and progressive development with the aim of attracting more foreign direct investments in Dubai. And uh, myself, Brandy and Richard, with uh, with you uh, down here from Dubai Commerce City throughout the course of this week. Listen, early doors, what we're one hour and six minutes into our time at Dubai Commerce City. But it's calm. It is calm. Let's see what happens. If you're a uh, online e-commerce company, what time do you go to work? I'll tell you what, there's people coming in now and I was just, I was a little bit surprised. That's six past seven on a Monday morning and people have started flooding in through the doors. So uh, either early bird catches the worm or it is a busy, busy industry that doesn't sleep at the moment. It's, we're walking in this morning, and we're basically in the middle of an industrial area, sort of logistics industrial area of Dubai. We're kind of between the airport and Dubai Festival City. This is not a hood that we are not unfamiliar with, no? Talking of hoods, uh, there's, quite a few, um, there's quite a few trainers coming in, so I don't think we're going to see the old pinstripe suits coming through uh, the doors over the course of the next few weeks. Are we going to sure. fashion critique the poor young man who's walking past us at the no, moment? He's looking brilliant on a Monday morning. What have we got? Right so let's, let's tick the list for someone working in e-commerce. He's carrying a funky backpack, tick. He's carrying a grey hoodie. Two ticks. <laughs> uh, he's got the Nike sneakers. He's got beautiful kicks, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, AirPods in. <laughs> <laughs> 
four ticks. Getting ready for a brand and a t-shirt and week. jeans. This tells you everything you need to know about the residents of Commerce City, does it not? Good morning, sir. Have you been hired to be here <laughs> and present that image? Because you're playing the role to perfection. Uh, enjoy, bless you. Thanks very much indeed. Uh, thanks for stopping, and uh, we'll have more from all the sort of city residents down here at Dubai Commerce City of the course of the week. Up, uh, but. Lest we forget, we are um, in the heart of the city and Emirates MBD still sending us clips. Surely they can just make the five-minute walk across the road, can't they? Yeah, I mean, this is their hood, Dan Richards. <laughs> Please. Uh, right, we've been talking to Dan. Uh, who's been getting the latest? We've been talking to him about Saudi PMI, is that right, Brandy? Yeah, if I have a look at the Saudi PMI numbers, which were very good. Uh, second month of a rise. Um, that's after a little bit of a summer low. Coming in at lull, rather, 58. 8.4 for the month. The PMI numbers measure basically everything that isn't the government and isn't oil. Uh, we said to Dan Richards, given that we know what's been going on with the oil numbers, um, put these in context for us. Following on from a four and a half year high for the UAE PMI survey that came out at the close of last week, the Saudi survey released yesterday also showed a substantial improvement as the headline number rose to 58.4 from 57.2 the previous month. Now, how the PMI works, anything over a neutral 50 level indicates an expansion in the non-oil private sector. So this is a pretty strong reading, especially when you compare it to what we've seen in the major developed market PMI surveys for, for most of the year, which have indicated either contraction or at best very weak growth. Now, one of the big areas of growth that was flagged up in the report, and in fact, it was the very first line of the report, was the fact that job creation was at a nine-year high and wages were rising to meet it. We asked Dan about the challenges that come with fast labour growth. One of the key takeaways from the subcomponents of a survey was the very strong growth in employment, which expanded at the fastest pace in nine years, with respondents to a survey citing strong growth in new orders necessitating higher staffing levels. However, though, this tightening labour market has also seen staff costs rise at the fastest pace since 2016, with firms forced to do more, to offer more in order to retain these skilled workers. Right. So how does it all fit together? We have heard in the last uh, 24 hours that Saudi is going to be extending its voluntary oil production cuts a million barrels a day. We also know that that's already weighing in on the Saudi economy from the most recent GDP numbers. So if we take a good private sector, but a, an oil sector that is willingly limiting itself, what does the big picture look like in terms of the economy? Now, we actually forecast a contraction in Saudi Arabia's economy this year, forecasting minus 0.5% growth. And that's down from 8.7% growth last year as oil production ticked up and we saw the, the reopening gains from COVID still coming through. However, this, uh, this forecast for contraction this year is on the back of the voluntary oil production cuts that are set to be maintained through the close of the year at least. And in terms of a non-oil private sector, we remain pretty bullish. And this is especially the case as Saudi Arabia continues to invest in its Vision 2030 diversification program and implemented those related structural changes. So this PMI survey's latest strong PMI reading really confirms our expectations on that. Yeah, and Saudi saying this weekend not just that it is going to stick to those cuts to the end of the year, but that it could even consider extending or deepening the, uh, the cuts or even increasing production.
Big numbers out of Saudi Arabia. Uh, in fact, Saudi Arabia, talk of the town at the moment for many, many reasons. Wouldn't it be nice to have one of the business breakfast team heading down to Riyadh at some point this week? Uh, maybe being able to uh, join uh, online and give a little bit of an update. We'll see but you, we, is it? We'll see what we can do for, for, for that on a Wednesday morning. We'll wait and see. But you are taking one for the team this week and heading off to Riyadh, aren't you, Tom? I am, yeah, heading to Riyadh on Tuesday. Uh, so tomorrow after the show. Um, oh God, battle my way all to the way to the airport straight after the show <laughs> oh, I'm sure I'm going to cope with that one that's for sure but yeah heading over to Riyadh uh, for a Ministry of Economy event over there um, they've got their work cut out at present that's for sure no shortage of business and we'll report back news from Riyadh I will battle the, literally take one for the team in the traffic of Riyadh uh, which is grating its own um, uh, character at the moment um, and report back live into the show on Wednesday morning. So, meanwhile, though, we've also seen uh, Saudi Arabia ranked uh, in yet another survey over the course of the weekend. In fact, UAE and Saudi Arabia both sharing a place on the top 10 tourism destinations worldwide that have seen the strongest growth in international visitors this year compared to uh, 2019. That's according to the travel analysis company Forward Keys, uh, the analysis of uh, tourist arrivals uh, by destination countries in 23, including forward bookings for the fourth quarter, uh, reflecting the continued recovery of the global tourism sector following the pandemic. Middle East and Africa region particularly well represented among the top 10 global performers, which is good news. Um, as we know that uh, there have been pressures, be they economic, uh, geopolitical or otherwise, on travel around the world. So good to see that it's holding fast at the moment. Looking at some of the other economic stories over the weekend, Friday we had the US jobs report, first Friday of the month, we always get it. And it was one of those things, Brandy, where you've got to kind of grit your teeth and go, this is bad news, but it's been interpreted as good news for the markets. So the jobs report was weak, not disastrous. They were expecting 180,000 new jobs. They got 150,000 new jobs. That's quite significantly below what we've been seeing over the past few months. So a soft US jobs report. And you'd have thought a weak jobs market would be an indication that the economy is slowing down and therefore investors would be worried. Not a bit of it though, Brandy. The investors were cock-a-hoop. Wall Street up 2%, had its best week of the year. Asia this morning, even more excited about a weak US job market. It's weak, but you have to put that in context. I mean, unemployment rising, but 3.9% is still historically low. I think markets are hoping that Jay Powell and friends may have actually managed to pull off what they said they could, which was raise interest rates, tighten the economy, but not actually break it. But the, the, the bet now from investors is that given that the labour market is slowing, no more need for interest rate hikes. I've just swallowed a flight. <laughs> <laughs> he might... Oh, there is a nursery rhyme that follows that. I, just, I thought it. I didn't want to say the next one. Let's hope line. he won't. Can someone turn his microphone off? Otherwise, that is going to be YouTube gold. Catch up on the business headlines with the Bite Size Business Breakfast. Where we are live from Dubai Commerce City. The first and the leading free zone dedicated exclusively to digital commerce in the Middle East, Africa and South Asia region. This is a unique digital commerce ecosystem uh, and it's an absolute pleasure to be down here uh, to find out a little bit more about our hosts throughout the week we're joined now by the senior director of sales at dubai commerce city uh, faisal jassim uh, faisal thank you so much indeed for your time thank you so much for being here and thanks for opening up your house as well My, our pleasure our we, pleasure we feel very very comfortable i know it's a monday morning but already we're feeling very much at home but perfect opportunity for us to find out a little bit more 
about Dubai Commerce City and how it sort of sets it. it, it fundamentally, it's a free zone. And look, this city is no stranger to free zones. If anything, it's embraced the power of free zones uh, throughout its uh, rich uh, history. What, what sets this apart as a free zone? Sure. So Dubai Commerce City came about um, as an idea approximately 2015-2016 around the area where of, of, of e-commerce and digital commerce in general. The thing is, is it, was a, it was a very nascent industry at the time, but there was a strong growth potential. So this is where, uh, in true Dubai fashion, Dubai really tried to think outside the box and really try to cater towards that specific industry. Um, and this is where the idea of Dubai Commerce City came about. So it's a joint venture between Wassel Properties and at the time was DAFSA and currently is Dieza, Dubai Integrated Economic Zone, which is the uh, holding company under which falls DAFSA, Dubai Silicon Oasis, and the newest member, which is us. So our focus is digital commerce. Uh, we are located in Umrumul area, so not the traditional business uh, district area, a bit outside of that area, but I kind of refer to it as the um, you know cool and up and coming, I guess, <laughs> free zone with regard to that, it, which is really what you want as well. And if you're a startup or if you're an SME, you really don't want to be um, in the downtown area where there's a lot of hustle and bustle and there's a lot of traffic you really want to be somewhere where it's hip it's cool it's not in your traditional area because at the end of the day you're not going to be starting a traditional business so let's just very quickly talk about location 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 because obviously it is a part of any business decisions uh, as to where to set up etc you mentioned that you know it might be an area that not a lot of new residents of the city would know but you know this has been the heart this area has been the heart of trade here in in dubai for for generations etc how important was the location for you in terms of access to other areas around here? The location is, is, is so important. I was talking with a friend of mine over the weekend and I was telling him, I, I think Umrumul and this side of town is, is really underrated. Mm. Um, the reason is, is because it's so centrally located. You're yeah. talking about being a one hour driving radius of 70% of the UAE's population, right? Which is massive. You're talking about an area that is so close to the airport. I mean, you're a stone throw away to the airport. You're a seven minute walk according to Google Maps for the, to the metro station. You're always going opposite traffic if you're living on the other side in Dubai and if you're living in the Northern Emirates you're right on the border so it's fantastic from a mobility point of view mm. and even from our perspective as Dubai Commerce City we're one out of four free zones in Dubai which is a designated free zone so that means VAT and customs do not apply within the bounds of the free zone so it's a massive value opportunity uh, value proposition that we offer to our clients um, you know we've been around now in our buildings for approximately two and a half years yeah. um, it's been a very interesting and very exciting journey and what I love about it the part of my job is whenever I tell somebody to come in, I'm like, they're like, you know, I, I haven't heard of this area, I haven't heard of this region. I'm yeah. like, listen, come in, cup of coffee on me, just come in. <laughs> uh, you don't even need to set up your business here, just come in. And when they come in, just their faces just light up, which is nice because they're like, you know, we, we it's, it's, it's a very nice vibe to, that it has over here. It's very tranquil, um, you know, and so easy to reach. That's exactly what all three of us said as we came in this morning in what is and has been seen as quite a sort of traditional um, uh, industry area. I and mean, you walk in, it's almost like this serene campus feel Correct. as well. I know a huge amount of investment's gone in to the master plan here. Three clusters, is that right? We have three clusters, yes. We have the logistics cluster, we have the social cluster, and then we have the business cluster, which is where we're doing the interview in right now. Um, the uh, logistics cluster is already fully built out and fully leased out. Um, and the social cluster is half built, and the business cluster is 25% uh, built, and then the other 75% will be strong over the number of years, so hopefully it will be fully operational by 2028 to 2029. Talk to me about who's here at the moment, but equally, who you hope will be here in the future. 
What kind of businesses are you looking to attract? So primarily the businesses we're looking at attract are those in the digital commerce space. Mm -hmm. Now digital commerce is not something that is set in stone. Um, so the definition for digital commerce might vary slightly from one person to the other, but this is what we want. Um, we really want anybody who feels that they are quote-unquote, or like, we, wha like what we like to call digital nomads. Yeah. So somebody that's very comfortable in the digital space, we want them to consider Dubai Commerce City. Now, approximately 55% of our client base, which is almost 300 companies, is uh, within the e-commerce field. Um, so whether they're traditional e-commerce field where they have a marketplace or they the ancillary businesses. So whether they provide, for example, the, um, the content creation for e-commerce marketing or, for example, the social media uh, um, aspect of it, et cetera. But all with it, 55% are within that space. So the clients that we want to attract over here are clients that are relating more towards digital commerce mm -hmm. or the ancillary businesses and the clients that really want to create. What we also want to do and try to do over here as well is try to utilize our ecosystem. Mm. So um, when a client comes to us, we don't like to just provide license and leasing and then we'll see you in a year's time. Um, or you know what, when you come to us whenever you want a visa. We really want to understand your business. We really want to see how to complement and we really want to try to connect the dots. So for example, if you come in, Tom, and you're like, listen, I want to have a, 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 you know, I want to have a marketplace um, for, I don't know, suits. You dress yeah. very well. I want to have a marketplace that's for suits. <laughs> um, so we're like, that's fine. Um, you know, we have a company that actually does um, apparel. We have another company that does um, e-commerce um, advertising. We have a company that does fit out. So instead of you going and reinventing the wheel mm. uh, across your value chain, we want to sit down with you, we want to understand you, and more likely than not, we do have the pieces of the puzzle you're looking for. So we can make that introduction, we can make that facilitation, and we try to grow our networks from there. So we really want to understand what the business does, so that in the future we want to support them as much as possible. We know that, uh, you know, and if you can call this home, and as you said, you've got that great ecosystem, that great infrastructure that people can tap into, both professionally uh, and uh, from a relaxation point of view. But in terms of sort of the background, the red tape, the licenses, etc., is that also something you can advise help on? Correct. So this is actually what we get paid to do. <laughs> so from, uh, from a licensing and a company setup perspective, that's what we specifically do. Um, we kind of also have a, um, you know, I, I always tell my team, you guys are not, um, you're not sales. Um, your advisors, your consultants, if you're a fan of the Godfather, your conciliaries uh, <laughs> of, of businesses that set up. So at the end of the day, we want to understand your business. And this is where we can really help from A to Z. And I'm mm -hmm. talking about not just in terms of licensing and leasing, but even in terms of, for example, external approvals that you might require, even in terms of, for example, you know, um, facilitations or introductions to other government authorities that could help facilitate uh, your business. So this is where we really try to provide. So it is a one-stop shop mm -hmm. when it comes to um, company establishments as opposed to going for the clients going and reinventing the wheel by themselves, we have all the capacity in-house that we can help on. Got about 30 seconds remaining with it. Well, I say 30 seconds in this interview. Got a whole week to get to know you as well, Faisal and the team as well. But before hundreds of people start coming in that door asking for you to buy them a cup of coffee after <laughs> kind of offer a little <laughs> earlier on. How do people start the process of getting to know you guys? So they either um, you know, go through our social media, send us an email, give us a call. We'd love, we love to meet people in person, right? So we always say well, that we, uh, we try to provide the digital experience, yeah. right? Um, so uh, you know, they can reach out to us on, on so many different platforms. Right. We're available on all the social media, major social media platforms. You know, um, just Google Dubai Commerce City and send us an email. We'd love to meet you and it's an it's an honest to god actual person replying to the email um <laughs> so, or so yeah. as Faisal was saying come on down and check out the place for yourself listen Faisal we will catch up again before the weekend
week is over. Thank you so much indeed thank for you your so time much. joining us live uh, here from Dubai, Commerce City. Our thanks to Faisal for his time. Faisal Jessam is the uh, Senior Director of Sales at Dubai, Commerce City. Just the highlights. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast. Uh, this is the Business Breakfast broadcasting live from Dubai, Commerce City. Uh, and as you've just been hearing there, if you come down, uh, reach out online or, of course, come on down and witness um, the... It's, quite, it's, it's calm. That's the thing that, I've, that struck me. It's very calm down here. In what is, and what we highlighted, I think we've all highlighted, is a very busy part of town. A lot of hustle, a lot of bustle. The big old international airport, just stone's throw away from us here. And yet you wouldn't be any the wiser, would you? I've just actually, if you want to check our Insta stories, producer Jordan's posting it. Jordan, is the... Um the, the video of the, the outside of the campus up. Just done a quick video outside in the, the gardens of the campus, because they are gardens. And we're in Umramul here, which is kind of Rashadir. It's a bit between the airport and Dubai Festival City. Wikipedia describes it as one of Dubai's oldest industrial areas. And you drive around here, as we all have, normally lost looking for somewhere to get your car repaired or something. And it, it's showing its age. Or you go in offices here, they look like it's got a 1980s. And then you've got this place, which is, you, you likened it to what this morning? Yeah, I thought it was very uh, Silicon uh, Oasis. No, Silicon Valley-ish uh, 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 here. So a little bit sort of, it's that campus feel, isn't it? Um, it, it really is that campus vibe. So you've probably got, just paint a picture, you've got, what is it? I'm looking at the model there. Maybe about 10 very modern office buildings. Yeah. So this is where the, 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 the office work happens. But of course, you've got all the proper logistics around you with the warehousing and the supply chain. And as you say, the airport, because a lot of digital commerce is small but high value items. And therefore, that's suited to mm. being transported by air freight rather than by sea freight. So it makes sense to be next to the airport here. Mm. They talk a good game. And I enjoyed your interview with Faisal there talking about you know end-to-end supply chain mm. logistics we've got the logistics we've got the consultancy we can help you with regulations but they really have mm. and, and that's what they've done well here so come down because we didn't know quite how spectacular this place is but we're learning speaking of learning we're going to look now at those saudi pmi numbers that have come out from riyadh bank they show a nine-year record in terms of the pace of job creation in the kingdom and we're crossing to the kingdom to find out what that looks and feels like on the ground joined live from Riyadh by Phil Hine who's a human capital advisor at the kingdom's public investment fund or PIF Phil good morning it's lovely to speak to you yeah good morning happy to be here so it's literally the opening line of this report what Riyadh Bank's calling a notable increase in employment in October what's driving it now particularly I think, uh, obviously, we've seen continued growth in the kingdom now for several years. Um, certainly in the 12 years uh, that I've been in the kingdom, um, this is probably the sort of the strongest employees market. Uh, there's obviously been a significant shift, um, you know, year on year in regards to that sort of talent supply and demand equation, um, which is, uh, you know, creating uh, significant challenges for, for, for employers. Let's talk about those challenges. What does it feel like on the human capital side to try and place people at the moment? I think there are challenges on a number of fronts, uh, but most significantly, the the growth um, and the demands for talent is impacting both employers' ability to both attract and retain uh, employees. So it's, you know, on both fronts, a uh, very challenging time for, for employers. 
Let's talk about, first of all, the attraction. What are we seeing happen to wages? I mean, the PMI reports here says that they are ticking up. But when it comes to offering, are you seeing an increased wage sort of landscape now compared to maybe where we were six months ago? I think market data suggesting it's sort of a, a market shift of about sort of 5% um, year on year. Um, but we've seen that gradually increase uh, over, you know, over the last sort of few years. That's year on year sort of been increasing. Uh, so uh, sort of wage inflation circa sort of 5%, um, which is, you know, impacting employers sort of fixed costs, uh, given the increase in, in those sort of labor costs. If everyone's offering 5%, though, and the rates are fairly standard, what can differentiate one employer from, from another? What are people actually winning the best talent on? I think um, what we're seeing trending is, well, there is pressure on employers to develop and enhance their, their I mean, their total employment value proposition. So both the financial aspects of the compensation framework, uh, but an increased uh, focused on uh, some of the non-financial uh, sort of components of that value proposition, such as strengthening organizational culture. Um, and certainly we're seeing trending, um, a, uh, uh, as I said, uh, sort of a, a prioritization of employee well-being and work-life balance uh, initiatives and programs. Because you mentioned retention there, and we have had recruitment experts tell us that the churn at the moment can be high. What are you seeing? No, we are seeing a relatively sort of high level of uh, what we would call sort of voluntary uh, attrition or sort of employee-driven attrition. Um, and that's just reflective of, of the market, of the opportunities, of it being an employee's market. Um, so unless organizations are willing to sort of work hard on, on both fronts, both that sort of attraction and retention, you know, you're going to see um, that churn. Um, but we're still sort of forecasting, you know, increased, you know, when we look at sort of employers, workforce plans for, for 2024, we're seeing an increase in those. Um, and that's impacting, you know, that, that talent pool, that local talent pool is therefore sort of reducing year on year. Um, that value proposition, if, you, if that's not being sort of enhanced, it certainly weakens organizations' ability. Um, but it also results in a need to look at some of those entry level and um, grad, as an example, graduate development programs. So looking at sort of entry level roles in the talent pipeline uh, to start developing that talent sort of for the future um, because of the, the, the shortage and the growing shortage of uh, sort of the experience uh, in the labour market. 30 seconds with you very quickly. Are we seeing poaching between projects at the moment? Is that adding to the wage spiral? Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's necessary, um, but I don't think it's necessarily sort of poaching uh, as such. It's just there is an abundance of, of opportunities um, and employees are very sort of cognizant and sort of switched on uh, to these opportunities and they can use that to their sort of advantage, uh, whether that is moving, you know, driving sort of vertical moves for themselves or increases in compensation. Um, but I don't think that the sort of the poaching aspect has necessarily increased. Okay. It's just the, 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 the scale of opportunities is providing fantastic opportunities for, for employees in the market right now. Phil Hine, Human Capital Advisor at the PIF. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast, exclusively on DubaiEye1038.com. 
taken a little bit of a walk about why, because I was trying to avoid putting more dirhams into our AI tin over there on the desk. Why? Because we're talking AI. Uh, certainly Elon Musk uh, says that his new AI chatbot has, quote, a little bit of humour. AI humour, something that we haven't seen go hand in hand recently. Well, the tech billionaire has predicted that artificial intelligence will eventually mean that no one will have to work. Go figure. Is that a good thing or is that a bad thing? Let's find out from the founder and the CEO of Tripler, an organization that is, of course, utilizing the powers of all things AI at the moment. Sam Singh's alongside us. Sam, thanks so much indeed for joining us down here. Thank you. Thanks very much. Let's get your reaction first and foremost to Elon's latest comments. So he says that thanks to artificial intelligence, eventually we won't have to work. Do you know, um, I've learned one thing over the years, never underestimate Elon. So <laughs> if, you th if he says that, I'd sort of put a lot of uh, uh, stock with what he says. I think the only difference would be how much time that would take to play out. Mm. So I think there's this whole idea around UBI, Universal Basic Income. And I think eventually where we're going to end up is a scenario where state has to guarantee Universal Basic Income because AI is going to do everything that can today constitute work. So I'd say, in my opinion, about 90% of what we call work today mm. is going to be able to be done by AI and robotics. You've got to combine AI and robotics. So where are we at with the AI at the moment in terms of potential and tapping? Where, where along the road are we? We're very early, so we're very early. So in spite of all of the noise you hear around AI, we're the equivalent of the age of the silent movie. Mm. So you can imagine how far movies have come and that's how far we have to go. So I'd call it about 10% of its actual potential. But even today, Tom, you'll find that we are at a level where general sort of AI applications, chat GPT, things like that, they're as intelligent as Einstein. Mm. So even when we're just getting warmed up, the level of intelligence in AI systems is equivalent or higher than mankind has managed for the thousands of years. Mm. So that's how sort of interesting and, and almost scary uh, everything is at this point. You mentioned silent movies there. I remember, well, not personally, I remember, but obviously when silent movies came out, there was chat about the ethics and the morals of silent movies. That's obviously evolved a lot as well. This big debate about the ethics and morals of AI, is that just because it's new at the moment? I think it's a question of building guardrails. So everything new needs regulation when there's public harm um, which may potentially result. So just like aviation has the, a regulator, I think the need is for a regulator simply because there's two sets of issues. So number one is, like you mentioned, around work. Mm. What happens if humanity, which sense has a sense of purpose, is that, has that taken away? There's a whole bunch of moral issues that rise from that. And then there's issues around privacy. Mm. There's already AI technologies that can use facial recognition on three billion people. Mm. It already exists. Many state governments have it. So imagine that, that network of cameras all over the world know exactly what you are, where you are, who you are, what you're doing, and who you're connected with. So there's this whole issue around privacy, and I think there needs to be new regulation around that, which will happen. Uh, but also there's morality around when AI becomes sentient. Mm. So sentient is the ability to feel. So today it's analytical and it's process-driven, but when it can then be sentient and have emotion, then there's issues around human relationships with AI, robotics, what role is it going to play? Is that going to sort of become, you know, will you ever have a best friend that's AI and you don't need the rest of your social network? So there's all of this stuff coming up, and I think the earlier on that we get a sense around how we're going to manage it, the better it's going to be, because this is a genie. We have to be very careful not to let out of the bottle. So to that point, and you mentioned sentient and sentient human beings. One thing that goes hand in hand with human beings is IQ. Everyone likes to chat all things IQ. 
Has AI got a bigger IQ than us already, or, or will it? So it already does. It already so does. average okay. AI systems are smarter than Einstein. And you and me, as clever as we think we are, we're not quite <laughs> at that level yet. So general AI... Not on a Monday morning, early morning. But general AI is now cleverer than the average human being by miles already. Mm. And this is sort of, right, like I said, absolutely the beginning. So let's go back to sort of some of the practicalities. I mean, as I mentioned in the, in the, in the lead up there, uh, you guys at Tripler have been using and utilizing AI for a while. Give our listeners and viewers an idea of how you can use it to better your business. So, so for example, AI basically comes in and makes every business process smarter. Right. So one of the challenges in real estate in Dubai has been that there's a lot of noise around real estate where people are constantly calling customers, there's a lot of spamming, there's a lack of sort of using smarter systems. Whereas, you know, we now have AI that can check your, your means from your voice. So, for example, if you speak to us, we'll know whether you have the financial means or not. We'll know if you have intent uh, to actually make a transaction in any industry, an urgency. So in any sales situation, three things matter. Means, mm. intent, mm. and urgency. And humans can't quite predict whether another human has those. But AI gets it spot on every time. And all you need is a voice sample. Like you could record a phone call, which most phone calls are recorded. And you can tell all of that. Because mm. imagine how much of the noise it takes away mm. and how well calibrated it makes business. So I, I'll deal with you and I know that you have the means, but you don't have the intent. Mm. It saves me a lot of brain ache just to figure out where you're at. So that's how AI helps. And that's across the board, not just real estate. Any sales situation, and all businesses have sales situations. Just finally, to wrap up, I've got about, what, 40 seconds left with you or so. Um, Elon Musk seems to have changed his tune a little bit from being, you know, a little bit cautious about all things AI, signing that letter a couple of months ago, etc., along with another other tech CEOs, to being a little bit, little bit more welcoming. Go, go figure, he's actually launched an AI chatbot as well. Absolutely. Uh, are we going to see more tech CEOs sort of change their opinions? So do you, know the, do you know the whole thing about for your first in the sense of denial? You don't accept the nature of the change that's upon you. And Elon thought that he was a bit annoyed that OpenAI and ChatGPT had got ahead of him. But now the confidence is coming from the fact that he's got a horse in the race now. <laughs> and what's going to happen is that every business that's in tech has to have a horse in the race. Yeah. There's no option. So I think you'll find all these guys are sort of, sort of a bit quiet for now. Eventually, when we'll be cheerleading from the front, and they're all going to be in there and, and out shouting each other. An actual horse nothing. or an AI horse? <laughs> <laughs> we'll wait and see. We'll wait and see. I'm not sure there's a difference anymore, Tom. Sam, really appreciate you coming on down. Thanks, Thanks so much very for much. Being our Thank guest you. Here at Dubai Commerce City, Sam Singh, the founder and the CEO of Tripler. You've been listening to a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. To enjoy lots more from Dubai Eye in the United Arab Emirates, just go to DubaiEye1038.com or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts.